We're gonna go at five. We're a little early, but it's all good. good. Yeah. Check, check. Oh, th oh shit! I think we live right there. You're a little bit in the frame, my boy. Let's start it off like this. Today's podcast is brought to you by Wavy Bar. If you would like to learn how this particular chocolate bar can help improve your mental health, check them out on IG and TikTok at Wavy underscore bar, at Wavy underscore bar. Today's podcast is also brought to you by OG Family, one of the sickest street clothing brands in Cali, baby. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm wearing one of their tees right here. I got one of their hats on right here. Um, you can follow them on Instagram at OG family, but most importantly, check them out at www.ogfamily.com and place an order today and let them know that you heard about us. You heard about them from pot, uh, Hoodstocks, baby. Let's go. Uh, last but not least, uh, www.50racks.com, baby, you know, uh, to get all the, um, Hoodstocks apparel, um, everything, every time you cop a hoodie, a hat or whatever it is we have on the website, um, it goes into the platform. You know what I mean? We're not getting rich off it, but hopefully one day we do, baby, right? <laughs> We're all striving for greatness around here. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, let me see. Now, today's guest, if you believe in his tactical uh, self-defense methods or not, this man has invested 30-plus years of his life to protect communities across the U.S. Is that number correct? Well, it's been 26 years exactly right here in Detroit. Okay, okay, there we go, there we go. I did a little research, and I was like, ah, it sounds about 30 years, you know what I mean? It's probably 30 years. Yeah, All absolutely. together for sure. Okay, okay, okay. Steven Seagal, move the fuck over and give it up for Vile Sensation. Uh, Dale Brown, baby, let's go. <laughs> Steven Seagal? Steven Seagal, that's my guy. Is that your guy? <laughs> I feel like he is, bro, you know what I mean? Because he, he got all the moves, baby. He got all the great moves, yes. What is it? Is it hop keto? Uh, he does a keto. Not hop keto, a keto. A keto, right. Okay. Not hop keto. Yeah. Hop keto is good too, but uh, a keto is Steven Seagal's thing and it's it's good. I mean, absolutely, that's raw form. And especially when you saw his first movies, yeah, yeah it was awesome. Was that, was that, so growing up, like all jokes aside, that was your dude? No, I liked all of them. I like all martial artists, all martial arts movies. Um, Michael Jai White is my favorite martial artist in any movie. What's his name? Michael Jai White. Okay, okay, okay. I've never heard of him. Oh, man, he's been in a lot of movies. And uh, he's, um, he's a bit of viral sensation as well. So if you look him up, you'll see he's right here in California. Outstanding martial artist. I'm going to look him up, brother. I'm going to look him up. So you're traveling. Do me a favor, Casey, and turn that fucking uh, speaker down, please, sir. Matter of fact, let me just do this. No worries. Okay, so you're... you're you're here from Detroit. <clears throat> Are you on a promo run? Yes, yes. We've actually been uh, involved in several promo situations. So uh, one was uh, brought out. We were brought out to in Northern California. And, um, it was a new store opening up. And uh, so we we're glad to be a part of that. And these are um, some guys in um, Hayward, California. Uh, Jute is the name of their uh, uh, new store. And uh, it's great, great, great organization. Really positive. The guys who used to, um, they were actually, uh, what I was told was they were in prison and they decided to get out and turn their life around and create a brand for business. And they created this brand that, uh, you know, is now, you know, the clothing store and some other things that they're going through that are um, positive, professional things for the community and, and uh, their store is part of that. So they like to be part of that as well. You know, that's amazing, bro. So you came out. Casey, make sure we're good on the volume on this on this chat line right here. Sorry about that. Um, 
So you came out here to support, I've seen that too, I wanted to ask you about that. You came out to support, I mean, obviously you, you're doing a bunch of things while you're out here, but you're, while you're out here, I mean, not only you're on Hoodstocks, but you went out to Hayward to support some dudes out of prison, turned their life around, and so you went out there to support their clothing brand, their correct. store, the, uh, the opening of their store, correct? Absolutely, yes, they brought us out, and uh, we're glad to be part of anything positive like that for the community. You know what, I love that, bro, I love that. Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I mean, I know you had to do a little bit of research in regards to maybe, probably wifey did, right? I mean, oh, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> of what Hoodstocks is. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure how hard, I mean, like, with a better lack of words, like when it came to upholding the law, and I know it's to the, to the 10th power, but if you were. You know, if you went over to the other side and just like supported people, and I mean, you're all about the community, right? I'm all about community, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little twisted up in my words right here. Um, that's that's amazing, bro. I love that. Yeah, it's all about protection of the community, and that's everybody in the community that's positive, and even those that would do criminal activity. What we do is we look at people as people, right? So you have a cousin. He's about to do some kind of crime. He's going to do something inappropriate. Do you want him killed? Do you want to go kill your cousin? Do you want to? No. What you want to do is prevent them from doing something that's inappropriate. So when we're protecting communities or corporations, we're doing it from the perspective of a family. What do you want to do with this person who's about to make a bad decision? Do you want to capture them? Do you want to cage them? <laughs> or do you want to create a condition where they don't get captured and caged because they don't do a crime in the first place? So if you really care about people and you really care about your community, what you want to do is prevent uh, predation. You don't want to capture it. You don't want to cage them. Uh, and that's what we do. We create conditions where violent criminals don't hunt the families in the first place. So we don't have that problem. And we don't get caught up in subterfuge. You know, we don't get caught up in things that don't matter. So everything with us is about what really matters. What really matters is uh, someone causing harm to you in your family. Got you. Got you. Got you. Got you. Okay. How have you liked it out here in Cali? Beautiful, man. Not only is the weather beautiful, because it's like eight degrees where we are right now. Wow. Horrible. But it's also, man, the people are so positive, man. Everybody, super positive. We run into people. People are stopping us in the street. Uh, I don't care if we're in, uh, you know, we're walking down Hollywood Boulevard. And people are getting, asking me for uh, selfies. and super positive, man, energy. Or we're out in the country. We're at a gas station in the country town. Uh, super positive people, man. Very, very polite, but very um, uh, positive, man. Positive energy. And that's what I'm glad to be a part of, man. Anything that's positive where people are feeling you know, empowered, and it's a positive thing, man. It's a great thing. And so I've been doing this for 26 years. So for me, this is like, uh, you know, some kind of weird uh, Twilight Zone episode because this is like if you're just always being yourself, right? And yeah. there's none of that. And then all of a sudden, out of, out of the blue, it's very, I mean, people who know us always are positive, but not like this, like strangers off the street. Never, never, never experienced that before. Well, for one thing, you got your, you got the Superman uniform on, right? That is correct. Always yeah. have the super uniform 24 <laughs> 7. You sleep in those? I have a sleeping outfit that's the same. It's just, <laughs> it's just for sleeping, though. On the real, though, bro, I mean, do you ever wake up in the morning and put something else on besides that? I do not. Ever. But, already, <laughs> but they still recognize, they recognize it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not the clothes. I mean, how long have you been wearing this uniform right here? This is a this is the the what is it the threat management? Uh, yes, 
what is it, Center? Uh, this is uh, Threat Manager Center is the core yeah. organization. Yeah. Uh, and then Detroit Urban Survival Training is the uh, school, just the school itself now, the new schools that we're going to be uh, opening in every city, state, and country in the world. And we're going to have one here in Detroit, in L.A. It's going to be called L.A. Dust. So it's the L.A. Detroit Urban Survival Training Center. So you're moving up in the ranks. Huh? Oh, yeah. You're spreading, yeah. spreading yes. the good word. I mean, since, the, what is it, has it been like two, three months, bro, that you kind of just, I mean, you're just, your brand kind of hit the, hit the, went off the roof, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, what it started on, it started on like a, uh, somebody clowning, like a meme or something? No, actually, um, we really started uh, about a year ago. Um, we were playing around on TikTok and we just went on TikTok for a second, like, hey, let's see, let's see what this is. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my wife's doing some research and she said, oh, we're going to, you know, look into how we can upload the things on TikTok. And, um, you know, she said, people actually get paid. I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> we, we do fine financially. We don't need the money for videos. Well, for us, it's just something to do to get the word out. They could actually, I was looking at like, this is a way for us to get the information into the hands of people that could use it, regular families, right? So, so she did her research, put it out there. Next thing you know, we got three million followers on TikTok within like two and a half months. But it's because, Almost but it's because uh, somebody kind of made like a video. Actually, no, that wasn't yet. They didn't do those yet. That wasn't yet. No, no, no. It was all. It was just all tactics. People just kept sharing. It kept growing, and it was just blowing up. And then later, they started doing uh, more comical things, and, uh, and so we joined in later too. Absolutely. Now, I was doing a little bit of research on you, bro, and it seemed like um, within the past, what, two, three months that you really... Then really... we had an uptick, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, TikTok put us off. They banned us for um, showing uh, graphic pictures. And the graphic pictures and videos I was showing was uh, people in real life, how they were getting robbed, how the guns were put to their head, the guns were put to their chest, how they're being shot in close quarters. They're getting shot after they uh, complied with robbers and criminals that were, um, you know, obviously murderers. In some cases, I was showing what happens when people get shot and they live, because that's what usually happens when you get shot. Eight out of 10 people live. So if you don't know that and you got shot, you might think you're dying when you shouldn't be thinking that way, which would decrease your survivability. So all of our knowledge is about helping people survive. But uh, TikTok did not like anything that's graphic. And they told me not to, and I kept uploading it because I care more about the education than about complying with their rules. So they banned us for continually sharing uh, information they found to be offensive because it was too graphic. It seems like every uh, every martial artist in the world, man, wants a piece of you. Does it feel like that? Because mm. a lot of dudes are talking shit, bro. They, you know what I mean? And, and, but, but I think at the end of the day, I, I personally feel like what you teach doesn't, it, it doesn't pertain to them, it pertains to the normal folk. Right, exactly, and and what they do, uh, we don't we don't really cross over. I don't, I'm not sure why there's any commentary uh, because I mean you see it all the time on YouTube. I yeah, mean, they're, they're all over YouTube. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. They're I all mean, over dudes, every dudes are dudes are fucking mimicking your methods, and all of a sudden they're fucking in heaven, dog. You know what I mean? Right. They're dead. You know, no, what the mean? martial artists are doing uh, they're doing actual skits where they're, they're acting like the techniques don't work, and what they don't realize is number one, these are techniques we used in real life, so they already worked. So the reason why in 26 years none of us are dead is because unlike other people that are in arts and sports, we took our training to the streets starting in 1996. So physically, we went out and protected the community. So I, my training was for the streets of Detroit, stopping home invasions and murders where, you know, we don't have any. Um, uh, we never choked anybody out in the sport. There's no referees where we are. There's bullets, <laughs> blades 
and police are coming. You better know how to make those police reports right. And if you don't, there's no future for you. So we teach psychology, law, and skill. The psychology came later, but law and skills, what I created first was a system so you can legally defend yourself with a knife, a baton, a pistol, a shotgun, a rifle, a bottle, whatever weapon you have, or no weapon at all. How do you legally defend yourself? That was the first reason or method uh, system that I created was the legal use of force for a civilian, right? So uh, unlike any other school, right? The, we, our training wasn't for sport or for the school. It was for outside the school to keep the family safe. Yeah. And that came about by being boots in the ground in Detroit, in the worst community uh, on the east side called Crack Alley, uh, helping the families stopping home invasion and murders in this one square block of about 400, home, uh, 400 dwellings. So, you know, few, uh, probably over a thousand people. And um, all I had was a dog and a rifle when I started. And I was able to stop all the home invasion and murders in this one, this one square block, which I guess had been uh, having problems with violence, crime, and um, specifically home invasions and murders for about 20 years. And I stopped it by creating conditions where the violent criminals did not feel that they could hunt the families anymore. 1950, man, Detroit was probably one of the richest states in the U.S., man. You had fucking uh, GM, you had Ford there. And so a lot of a lot of brothers from down south moved to Detroit, you know, to get a part of the get, get some of that money. They were able to buy houses. They were able to live very well with their families. Right. But a lot of the white residents didn't like that in Detroit. So what they did is is they didn't they never let the brothers move up in the ranks. You know, this well, is, is, does that sound correct? Well, well it, yeah, that's that's very correct. Uh, but much worse than that in reality. So in reality, the Motor City, yeah. those motors never stopped getting made. They just got stopped getting made in the Motor City. Yeah. So where did they go? They went to places where uh, people couldn't live that um, couldn't travel the roads. So you couldn't leave Detroit at that time. That was something that transitions later. But before that, uh, the Detroit entire Detroit infrastructure was based upon a organization called the Black Legion, which was the KKK. Um, on steroids. So this was a group that ruled Detroit. They ruled every aspect of Detroit. They controlled everything, every factory. They controlled Detroit Tigers. They controlled every aspect of life, uh, all power. And they did not like Jews. They did not like Catholics. They did not like uh, Mexicans. They did not like African Americans. This is the 1950s, correct? This is before that. Before that, yes. wow. Okay. So this is the 20s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they ruled, and this continued on. In order to be a member of the Black Legion, you had to be a U.S. military veteran from World War One, later from World War Two, and you control. <clears throat> they controlled the factory, so you couldn't work there if you were Italian. You couldn't work there if you were Polish. You couldn't work there if you were uh, anything other than uh, what they thought was appropriate, which would have been Protestant, European, Christian uh, people, and that meant that a very small group of people could work there. And those people then began to control the factories. The factories then wanted to diversify because they didn't want people controlling the factories, um, you know. And so that's where there became a war. So people like um, uh, Hoffa came about, right? Yeah, fighting yeah. for rights for Italians because Italians couldn't have any rights there. Uh, Latino people came there, Hispanic people from different communities, but they also could not have um, their own uh, access to that kind of power, but they created their own uh, infrastructure within their communities, right? So um, in Detroit, you have Latino communities that are separate, right? But they're there and they have businesses there. 
And that's the same thing the African-Americans did. So the African-Americans created their own communities. My family opened the first privately owned African-American hospital. My great grandmother was the first private. uh, She was the first uh, licensed private, excuse me, licensed African-American female physician in the state of Michigan. That's because she looked German. They didn't know. (laughs) And we all have European names. So there's no way for us to tell that this was the African-American woman. Uh, And my great grandfather also uh, very light complected. He looked uh, European. So by the time they, uh, they switched over their licenses, they, they, by the time they realized they were African-American, it was too late. They already had licenses. They had their business. They had their hospital. Uh, and uh, so the, the African-American community was always thriving there. Uh, it's been thriving since the day they got there. So <laughs> that's because anytime your community is forced to only do business within itself, uh, obviously you're going to keep building the community. Uh, so my great-grandfather owned a hospital. He owned a church. He owned a bank. He owned a movie theater. He owned a uh, hotel and he was killed by murdered by an employee Wow! Um, that he sold the hand on. And the employee got mad because he was forced to work off the payment and he killed him in front of my grandfather. My grandfather, who became a doctor as well later in life, was 12 years old. At the time he watched his father get murdered, he had been ransomed by some criminals who took him before his, my great grandfather got murdered. So he just got him back. And about a year later, he watched his father get murdered. So there's a history of violence associated with urban communities because there's a lack of protection within the urban communities. So it's not that there's anything wrong. It's just a lack of protection. Anytime anytime you don't protect something or someone, there's a lack of protections. You're going to have predation. You're going to have violence. You're going to have crime. But the most important thing you're going to have is predation that destroys families. So that's why what I did was instead of focusing on anything else, I focused on one thing. How do we create safety for the families? Period. Now, what's interesting is what happened was once you make it safe for families, everyone's life thrives. And that's because the cornerstone of profit and profitability is protection. So if you protect the people, uh, you go from 30 percent occupancy, for example, in the community I lived in to uh, 100 percent occupancy and a waiting list uh, within a year because you stopped all the home invasion murders. So for 20 years, they never had even 50 percent occupancy. Now, all of a sudden, I come in, I stop the home invasions and murders, and they go in within a year, they go into a waiting list of people to live there because no one's moving out. Turns out people are moving out every time there was someone murdered. Where, where is this at? This is on the east side of Detroit. Gotcha. So on the east side, it's, um, they called it Crack Alley. The both citizens and police called it Crack Alley. And uh, I lived on the uh, major street, so it was like a 17-story building. So it's middle class, like probably a middle-class building. But all the buildings around the street, around that one-square block, were more at what we call at risk. And that just means that they were poor families that did not have uh, the safety that you would normally have. So the buildings did not have good doors, uh, did not have good lighting. They did not have, um, we couldn't get police uh, response that would be proactive enough to prevent predation. So if you saw some guys outside the building, you saw someone kicking a door, you would call 911, there wouldn't be a response that would, that would actually stop any of that from happening. And that's because law enforcement itself is to enforce laws that have been broken. And so we think of it from watching television that somehow you're supposed to call someone. They're supposed to come to where you are in danger, which is literally impossible. And so once I realized that, I realized I, it, so there's nothing wrong with the police. What's wrong with me? If I'm going to let here, if I'm going to sit here and let people suffer and I'm going to let people um, be murdered, then I'm the problem. The police do their job. Their job is to enforce laws that have been broken. If I wanted to stop families from being robbed, raped and killed, then that would be what I would want. That's not, that's not related to the enforcement of law. The enforcement of law would be after that. So if you don't want 
predation. If you don't want the families to be raped, robbed, and killed, you'd have to do something ahead of that. And that's what I did was created a condition by going to the building owners. And I said, listen, we need to help these families. I said, there's families being murdered. They're being robbed every day. Home invasions literally every day. And this really rich guy who owns the buildings, including the building I worked in, who was paying me $4.15 an hour to work in a parking lot. What year was this? This is 95. So I'm making $4.15 an hour. <laughs> I work 80 hours a week, but he only pays me 40. Right? And the 80 hours, because of so much crime, so much violence, people are being attacked. I just, you know, I just, just volunteer the rest of my time just to help the families. And uh, legally, though, I couldn't go into buildings. I couldn't go and protect the buildings, the people where, the, where they're most at risk, which is their homes. So I went to the building and I said, listen, why don't you hire me to protect your buildings? Don't evict me because I can't afford rent at $4.15 an hour, even in <laughs> <Yeah>. 1995, <laughs> right? And I said, um, give me $2,000 a month. Give me a free uh, uh, storefront so I can turn that into a school and give me one free apartment in each of the 10 buildings. I'll get you a man in each, or female in each building to protect the building. I will train them and then we'll have a protected neighborhood. And the guy looked at me and said, that's a great plan. Good luck with you or plan for your people. Yeah. I was like, what? wait, what? For your people. It's your people, man. You're yeah. the one getting paid, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he was not interested. Honestly, he just didn't care. So I went and found out how much he's losing, which is 70000 a month. When these people get shot, all the people that could leave, they leave immediately. So he would lose like another 70 Gs a month on average. So I said, well, give me, you know, me $2,000 a month, which to me was like a million dollars. At the time. Yeah, I knew I was rich then. I was, yeah. hood, I was hood rich. At that moment, when he made this deal with me, he said yes. And that's when I knew I was hood rich, 2000 a month. And I uh, got, got a free apartment, free office. This, yeah, I heard this story. You, t- you told this story on, uh, on another uh, uh, podcast did you did. What was that dude's name? Uh, which one? Yeah, there's only there's only a couple of interviews. What's the name of the dude that he did this on? Anyways, I heard this I've story, bro. Hundred podcast. Have you done a hundred podcasts? <laughs> what, what's his name? Might have been. I'm not sure. Yeah. So when it comes when it comes to what you're teaching and shit, bro, you're dead fucking serious. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you're dead serious. It's well, not a fucking meme. You're not fucking around. You're not. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to be responsible for what you're putting out there. I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of people are saying you're getting a fucking shitload of people killed, bro. I mean, it's it's good to have like I'm an electrician. Right. So I need tools. Right. But if you get someone else that's a plumber. He's not gonna know how to use these electrical tools. He or he might he might have an idea, but to use them properly, he may not use them properly. But as an electrician, so are, the, so mm-hmm. are these tools? Should should these tools be given to everybody because they can potentially not use them properly, but get other people hurt by using these tools? And let, but, let me let me say this real quick before, man. I like I like some of your techniques, bro. Like grabbing the fucking slider, bro. Blocking slide, the yep. fucking hammer, you know what I mean? Like, slide, yep. yeah, the, the, the slide, yeah, the slide up to the slider. I'm thinking about <laughs> sliders right now from down the street. I'm hungry right now, um, but yeah. So I'm not here to just shit on you, bro. I'm just right. saying, like, you well, know, think like this as an electrician. Uh, what if you knew that thousands of people every year get electrocuted, and they do thousands, including some electricians. <laughs> but regular people are getting electrocuted right now. They're literally doing things like stealing electricity. Some people are just playing with electrical lock with sockets. And so you make videos and you say, don't you stick know, your you know tongue it, in an electrical socket. Yeah, you know what it means to get electrocuted, right? Yeah. What, what does it mean? Uh, that you complete the circuit? You, 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 if you get electrocuted, you die. You get oh. shocked. Oh, shocked. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See that right there? I just learned something. Yeah. See that? So 
Now, what if I thought I knew something? Oh, I do know something. You just shared information with me. Look, look at that. You took two seconds. You could have made that into a video. If you get shocked, that's not electrocuted. I just learned something. Yeah. Say, what if you made that into a video? Now, a bunch of people now know things, right? doesn't mean you're making it into an electrician. You're just making them safer because you just shared an intelligent knowledge point that now makes them more informed. You know what you can tell them? Don't stick your finger in an electrical socket. That doesn't, you're not arming them with being an electrician, but you did just save their, possibly their life. Uh, you could have saved them from getting shocked. Don't stick your tongue in there. Uh, get these safety things to put on the plug. That's what I do. I tell people intelligent options so they cannot get shocked or electrocuted uh, by their ignorance. And right now, there's no one telling you anything is intelligent, so you just do what you feel, right? And next thing you know, you got people dying. What are they dying from? They're dying because of ignorance, right? They're dying from electrical things because they're ignorant. And they're dying from bullets because they're ignorant. They're dying from blades because they're ignorant. Uh, so, example, my grandfather who got murdered. You know why he actually died? They, they took the knife out before they got to the hospital. So it made him bleed out. So imagine if you knew, leave the blade inside of a person, which is counterintuitive, right? You want to help your family members so you would take the knife out of them. That's what kills your family members. It's not so, the fact you got stabbed. So you're saying these people, you use the word ignorant several times, bro. Yes, when and you don't and, and have you, knowledge. You, okay, and that's, that's why I wanted yeah, to Yeah, when you don't have knowledge. If I don't know about electricity, that means I'm ignorant about something, right? I was in, I was, in fact, I was ignorant about the term. They just electrocuted and shocked. So now I know that if I if I meant shocked, I should say shocked, right? But what if you get the knowledge, bro, and 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 it doesn't? You're not you don't use the knowledge properly. Like you know what? I'm gonna fucking try with Dale. I just watched a video of Dale Brown on YouTube, and then pop, he's in heaven. Yeah, the uh, same thing that was electrical, elect electrical, right? So if you say you know don't touch electrical socket, and I touch it anyway, I get shocked, and if I get shocked enough, I could die and be electrocuted. So that would mean that I didn't listen. Right. The electrician, the actual electrician tried to tell me what to do, but I just didn't pay attention. I didn't I didn't study. I didn't train. I just, you know, didn't, I just ignored the video. What now, what if they what if they actually listened to you? They said, don't stick your finger. Don't stick your tongue in the electrical socket. I get it, bro. I get which I, I get the point you're trying to make. I get that. Should everybody should everybody like when it comes to like a gun situation? And I think I've heard you say you got to really just uh you know, you got to analyze the surroundings. You got to kind of just like look at the dude. Say the dude's got a gun pointed at me or vice versa. You got to kind of fill him out and maybe, you know, make a judgment call. I mean, because there's sometimes that you just like, hey, go ahead and, you know, take the purse or take the fucking car or whatever the fuck it might be. Right. Right. You know, not, not always. It is your decision. Right. It is your decision. But what do you suggest, though, when you have students doing the that have gone through your course, that have gone through your self-defense, you know, uh, classes. I mean, do you do you? They're alive, all of them, twenty-six years. Do you recommend them to use those uh, methods of self-defense? Uh, yeah, that's why they're alive all the time. Hundred percent, they're alive. So, once you think about this, twenty-six years, none of us are dead, not one. A hundred percent alive. So. Uh, of the people that are not our students, do you know how many of them died? A lot. So uh, the people well, that- Well, we, we mm -hmm. got to look at it like this, though, too, bro. Let's be real about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got to be, you know, you can, I mean, you can teach all these things to these people that live in suburbs and no, are wherever, cities. bro. I'm just mm -hmm. saying, like, this doesn't happen. City. It doesn't happen every day, bro, where they can practice that. And Oh, well, and, in our case, understand that we're a protective organization. So when you try to rape, rob, and go kill people, what we do is stop you. So we increased our level of active uh, participation in violence by being there to stop the gang members, to stop the thugs from killing, raping, robbing, and murdering. So we didn't just wait 
we went to them, which is what we do right now. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we protect families right now. So right now you're in East LA right now, bro. Say you walk outside and some dude runs up on you and you know what? They want that badass watch on your wrist, bro. I don't know what the fuck is on your wrist. What is on your wrist, by the way, bro? This is a uh, badass watch. Is it a watch? Yes. It's a watch and a phone. So it basically, it's a SIM card. It has its own SIM card, but it's a watch that is actually a phone as well. Who makes that? Um, somebody from China, probably. <laughs> Just guessing. <laughs> it looks amazing, dog. <laughs> look, man, it's waterproof. So, look, it reads your uh, vitals. And it's a camera and a phone, all one, right? But it also is completely waterproof. So it and uh and it makes people look at it and make you ask questions. Absolutely, man. It's a conversation piece, man. I Definitely like that. Yeah. So if you were to walk outside right now and you got this little bald headed cholo, breath smelling like hot Cheetos, pair of Cortez on, socks up to the kneecaps, he rolls up on you with a gun bigger than him, and he's like, I seen you on YouTube, Dale Brown, I need that watch. And he puts the gun to your chest. What are you going to do? Are you going to give the watch? Are you going to fucking take that gun, disarm this man, and shove that gun so far up that fool's ass that... I will leave his ass alone. Would you? His ass is off limits. We don't, we don't oh. touch that. <laughs> yes, we're not. We have rules. There's an, it's an ass-free zone. We're not going to touch his ass. Okay. But we will probably touch the gun. Yes. And what we'll do before that is read his body language ahead of time. And before he can get in position, I'll be so close to him that he will change his mind and ask me for directions to somewhere I don't know to go. And he'll do that fluidly. Like, oh, oh my man, sorry, I was uh, looking for my, my, you D, you J? I was looking for this dude named J, DJ, something. This, I mean, this sounds like, a, like in a perfect world in a scripted movie, bro. I mean, that sounds, I mean, how many, how many situations have you been in where you can, you can actually uh, perform, you know what I mean, what you teach, bro? Oh, no way to know. No way to know. So... Uh, so when we start off um, dealing with home invasion murders on the east side, we switch to um, other problems like uh, grocery store that had a problem with. I mean, how do you deal with home invasion murders, bro? Are you like, hey, I heard this physically place is captured get... them, stop them physically. Stop I mean, them. how do you stop a home invasion murder? You don't know you what's happening, quickly. bro. Oh, yeah. They call us. So people call us. They mm-hmm. call you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so instead of calling the cops. No, they no, call no. Us. Not instead. Not instead. We make them call the police as well. OK. And then but Dale Brown will go there. Has shows gone up, there, shows up there. as well, and no, and no, we get it, there, we get there way, usually way sooner. Okay, okay, that's well, yeah, one. because after 1967 in fucking Detroit, man, they didn't, you know, what I mean, they didn't. After the six day fucking riot of tearing up the fucking city, you couldn't even get a fucking a police officer or a, no, that's not true. Uh, never, <laughs> that was never the truth. 1967. Yeah, that, day, that, right? no, that's not a that's not related to that that subject though. There's no no, no, no I'm just I, I, it, well. No, but there's no correlation between the the people's behavior and policing. There's no none. People's behavior and policing? Yeah, there's no correlation. Correlation and people's behavior and policing? Correct. The police were not going to determine they're they're not going to determine what they're going to do based on the behavior of the people. So they're going to do their own thing. They're not going to say, "Oh, because of this, we're going to do this." It's not. Yeah, no, I I get, I get that, but I was just kind of reflecting back to a little bit of history in the yeah, city. Forty two was the big riot in, in Detroit. Yeah, forty two was the big riot. Wasn't it sixty seven? The riot? No, that was a little Six riot. Days? That was a little riot. Yeah, the big riot was forty two. What was forty two? In forty two, twenty thousand uh, Americans decided that they would rather salute Hitler and lose to Germany than work next to a person of African uh, heritage, uh, and then they decided to attack. Um, the city 
And the primary area they decided to attack is a place called Cass Corridor, where all, all the African-Americans had to live. Um, and that place was a, um, the center of Detroit. So typically, if you were found to be outside of that area before 1942, um, you could be beaten, tortured, j- jailed. It was a sundown town. Um, <clears throat> and so 1942, um, that's when uh, there was the big riot. So a lot of people don't know about that. Cause well, yeah. Uh, well, how, what was the riots? Like, how long did those riots last? Um, well, it's unclear, but they, uh, the, the, the uh, the damage, the number of deaths were also underreported as well. It's, it's pretty significant. Uh, and so what happens is that's when um, uh, there was a big problem where uh, African-Americans were being hired in the factories, the Packard plant, which is the biggest facility in North America, three and a half million square feet of building. They hired six African-Americans to work outside of the uh, garbage area. And that's when 20,000 uh, Americans, a part of the Black Legion, which was their union, the union leader went on a wildcat strike and they said that they would rather salute Hitler than... Um, yeah, but what happened be- behind all this, bro? What happened? So they flipped cars, attacked the people, attacked African-Americans and beat them uh, and killed them uh, for some period of time. Yeah, no, I was looking at the history book. I was looking at history with Detroit and what popped up was 67. There was It was a six-day. Blacks burnt the city down. After the six days, the white community sold the business and they said, we're getting yeah. the fuck out of there. No, no, that was, uh, that's, is that's that one in, version. Is, in, is that inaccurate? Yeah, it's inaccurate. Okay. It's definitely inaccurate. Uh, that was a rebellion that took place in 67. So in 67, that's when people rebelled against the system that was oppressing them. Which were, which were the African community, right? <laughs> Primarily, that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how the fuck we got off on that just because I said that. But anyway, so we're talking about, let me, let me paint a picture to you, bro. So in, in 1995, you were uh, taking care of these buildings, right? Mm-hmm. You were taking care of these buildings. Yes. You were showing up before the cops for burglaries, home invasions. I there, yeah. Yeah. I live in the community. Okay, okay. I mean, just to get a quick example, bro, like, uh, you, you, so you you hear that the, in the building there's a home invasion, and, and so they, they call you along with the cops. You show up before the cops, and, and you bust in the door. Door's already busted. The door's already busted. You're running in there, and you're capturing the criminal before they can rob, actually, rape, and murder. No, they actually attacked this old man. So one of the home invasions took place after I started the program. After I got hired by the owner of the building. Yeah, no, I know. You told that story. So uh, I captured the two men as they're two of the four. And then um, those two men were um, uh, not prosecuted for attacking the 80 year old man. And the 80 year old man moved back to Mississippi to die. He, he wanted to stay in Detroit to stay with his family, but uh, he wasn't able to do so. Uh, but the what I'm happy about is I was able to stop them um, so that. At least they could, the community, the kids in the community, the families could see that there was something that would stop the predation on their families. And that was the last home invasion that took place in that community was when I caught those guys. So nobody else home invaded after that. And before that, it was literally a daily operate, daily thing where you could just go in people's houses against their will. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to run. You just take things from people. And we're talking about hundreds of, of dwellings where there was literally no fear of being caught. You could just carjack people and there's not going to be any consequences. You could literally carjack. In Detroit. Yeah, you can look. Right, one, one, why, one situation. Why, why is that? Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. So what situation? The guy's 30-some years old. I get him in the hallway. <clears throat> He's got an 80-year-old man bleeding from the mouth in front of him when I come in the door. I said to him, I said, just stay right here. Police will be on the way, man. It's not a big deal. Now, he's got his hand on his weapon. It's in his pants. 
and I have my rifle in my hands. So he knows not to pull that out because it will not go well for him. And there's another guy who's trying to protect the old man. And it's all over the fact that the 80 year old man was carjacked three days before when he contested it to this 30 year old guy, he pistol whipped him in his mouth. So now I'm standing there, the, the 30 year old dude who popped him in the mouth with a gun that's now in his pants feels like he can't do anything else when the police come in. When the police come in, I explain to them what happened. I explain this guy has a gun and uh, they become um, uninterested in uh, any of it and uh, told the guy that had the gun in his pants that he should go downstairs and they walked him into a, a room and let him go. And then told the 80 year old man who was saying, well, that guy carjacked me and he took me, took my car three days ago and I reported it. And, you know, he just pissed with me in the mouth just now before security got here. And they, um, <clears throat> they let the, they just said, well, go back to your apartment right now. And then they told me specifically not to get involved anymore. Um, and so the next day I allowed a girl to be attacked in front of the building. I was told specifically not to interfere in any criminal activity. And I didn't. The next day I just kept calling police and I refused to get involved because I was told not to. So this 14 year old girl was being attacked because the uh, a man wanted to have a relationship with her. And um, you let that go. I let the women attack her uh, because I was told not to interfere in the crime or any kind of crime out on the streets, period. So I called 911 repeatedly. Lots of other people were calling 911. And I know that because the 911 operators were sharing that with me. They were like, hey, we just got calls, Dale. They know my name. They're like, Dale, we got that call. We got that call. Dale, Dale, thanks for calling. We already nine know. 911 know you by yes, first name basis. 45 minutes they attacked this girl. So the yeah. next day, uh, making long story short, police came and they said, well, where's the girl? I said, she's at the hospital. They said, well, there's nothing we can do because she's at the hospital. I was like, well, can't you? And they said, they asked me, they said, what hospital she's at? I was like, uh, sir, sir. I'm just security for the buildings is on the street. This took place on the street. How would I know where they take the girl at the hospital? The ambulance took her. The officer was like, well, there's nothing we can do if you know you don't know the hospital. I was like, I know the perpetrators because I got their names and their social security numbers on the rent roll because they live in the buildings. Yeah. The grown adults live in the buildings. So I thought, you know, hey, I got this dead rights case for these police officers. The, 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 the mother can have a, her safety for her children, right? So the mother's like, well, <clears throat> you know, no big deal. I'm just going to take my daughter. And she's 14. She'll, her face will heal from the chemical burns. They, they sprayed roach raid in her eyes and face and everything. Burned her face up. It's fucking horrible. So, yeah. So I said, let's, yeah. Go to the, let's go to the police station. Let's make, let's make the report. She was like, uh, no, let's not. I was like, what? You're the mother. You have to do this. She goes, no. Um, what's wrong with you? Where are you from? I said, it doesn't matter where I'm from. I'm from a college town in the suburbs. I said, it doesn't matter where I'm from. What matters is you need to be a good mother and you need to go to the police station, make the report so the police can do their job. She was like, you must not know the police aren't going to do anything. I said, the police will do their job. Yes, they will. All you got to do is be the good citizen, a good mother and go to the police station. I will be the witness. I have the rent roll. I have their names. I have everything the police will need. We'll be able to prosecute them and show that we can have law enforcement right here in the community in the hood. Right. <laughs> so, so she was like, damn it. She was like, oh, well, I don't have any money, so I can't go. I said, well, I got $20. I'll pay you. I'll give you $20. She was like, fine, fine, I'll go. So I was, I was so proud. I was like, I'm going to show that you can, you don't have to call cousins. You don't have to call thug cousins to come get revenge on the girls. You don't have to, the women, right? You don't have to call. You don't have to do, you don't have to move out of your building, right? You just call, you just go to the police station, make the police report. We'll file the report. Then we're going to get these women prosecuted for attacking this, this minor child, right? As soon as we walk in, there's a mother, there's a, um, female sergeant there. She's African-American. She's about the same age as the victim, an African-American woman, about, about, about the same age, 35, 40. I was like, that's great, because, you know, they're both from Detroit. They both share heritage. This will be great. 
the woman, the, the sergeant looked at her, looked at me, said, well, who is you? I said, I'm a, I'm a security for the building. These are some tenants. They were attacked. The daughter was attacked. She goes, are you related to the victim? I said, no, ma'am. She said, get away from my desk. I was like, okay, ma'am. Uh, so I looked at the mother. She looked at me and she had this look on her face like of disgust. She was like, I told you the police wouldn't do nothing. Why are you having us in here? And, I'm, and I was like, wow. Man, I said, no, no, the police are going to help you. I'm just not, I'm not, a, I'm not a part of your family, so I can't be a part of this. It's not a big deal. The, the sergeant's going to help you, right? The sergeant said, I told you back away from my desk, yelling at me again. Now the little girl who just got out of the hospital was bandaged up, her face is bandaged up. She starts crying. The sergeant looks at her and says, what you crying for? And she said, she just couldn't talk. She's, she's just so upset, right? Now the mother's crying and the daughter's crying. And... <clears throat> From that day forward, man, uh, make a long story short, we had to go back to the unit. She told her to get it. Basically, she took her board and said, now get out. End yeah. of story. So that was the last day, man, for me to, um, to not be the person who creates change. So from that day forward, I became a proactive agent of change. That means that I don't care. I'm a, I'll make the call to the police, but nothing's going to stop me from protecting these families. Nothing. Nobody's words. Nobody's actions. And essentially what happened that day was the transition. Because from that day... The violent criminals knew that I didn't care about anything except stopping them from harming the families. I mean, why didn't you become a police officer, bro? Uh, because that has nothing to do with what I wanted to do. I don't care about, for example, uh, drugs, alcohol. That's none of my business. I don't, I don't know who's drunk or, uh, drunk or high or who's got drugs. I, I don't care about that. Gotcha. So when I see people drunk or high, you know what I, I want to do? Make sure they don't get uh, in a car accident. Make sure they don't get hit in a car. Make sure they don't get fall down the street. Uh, my job is to get them out of the street and get them on the side. I don't know what's in their pockets. I don't even know if they have a gun or knife or none of that. I don't care. What I would care about is getting them out of the street safely. Uh, you know, and that's one of the, the ways we were successful is by focusing on what was important. I don't know who sold drugs in the neighborhood. I don't care. What I cared about was who was harming the families. That's not related. They're not related at all. Uh, the thugs that were um, harming the families. When you come home from work with your kid, and this is, you know, one of the examples of what happens. Uh, so a little boy comes over with his mom. She's a nurse. She's going through the cutting through, you know, just going to her apartment building. And these guys start talking, talk to her. And she's like, no, I'm not interested. So they spit on her right in front of her son. So imagine you were like a nine year old boy and you watch your mom get spit on. But these men, these young men, like 20 year olds, they do this and there's nothing you could do but watch your mom get humiliated. So I, I took care of that because I think of it like, what if I was that boy? What if I was on those steps? What if that was my mother? What if my mother wasn't a doctor in the army? What if she was this woman who is trying to go home with her son and I'm that little boy? So I took it upon myself to make sure that doesn't happen again. And the way I did it was I still used peace, man. I still try to wait, make a way so that they would feel inspired instead of intimidated. So <clears throat> what I did was I created the psychological belief that there's not a good place to be. The way I did that was I didn't have any money. So I had these broken video cameras. I had some volunteers from local high school. I had them on top of the buildings, you know, folk uh, like panning the area, like looking like they're recording, right? And then I went to the dope guys, the thugs that were on the front of the buildings, disrespecting the, the mothers and, and making life hard for the families. And I said to them, now, I could have gone over there with my rifle and just confronted them. But I decided to do it in a more peaceful way. And I went over there and said, hey, man, look out. Um, the police are taking our data. They're looking at our videos and looking for anybody with license plates, they're looking for anybody with warrants. So I'm going to let you guys know. And the thugs looked at me like, oh, security, good looking out. <laughs> and they got off the block. They literally went away from the buildings. Now when you come home from work with your son, there's no thugs sitting out in front of your building. And no yeah. confrontation took place. We didn't have to beat anybody down. I had to shoot them nothing. I mean, LA's a little different, bro. Well, it can be. It can LA's be. LA's a little, no, LA's a lot different, bro. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, that shit would have worked. Sounds like a, I mean, in a perfect 
perfect world of yours that works in in uh in Detroit, but LA is a little different. Like you come up to dudes, they're gonna tell you to get the fuck out of here, bro. You know what I mean? Uh, it just it works. Yeah, a little it depends. Bit. Let me paint a, let me paint a picture to you real quick, bro. In 1995, bro, I was 18 years old and I was arrested for 20 armed robberies and a Highland Park gang beating and robbing of an old man. Something I didn't do. I was a shitty person, but that wasn't my style, my G. You know what I mean? I did prison time for it. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you, bro, is, and this is me as a kid, literally a kid, bro. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I came out on a, uh, when when I got arrested for that for for those cases. Uh, there used to be a show in L.A. called uh, LAPD Life on the Beat. You know, so mm -hmm. when when the hunter cops raided Strickland and Figueroa's, my homeboy Ghost's birthday party, bro. There's a ton of us on the street. A camera crew came. You know, I ended up on TV on this show. It was kind of like a cops, but it was an L.A. thing, right? Anyway, so the way I made money or the way I made ends meet on the streets was robbing. I wasn't a good uh, I wasn't a good drug dealer because I like drugs, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, right, I got right. high off my own supply, right? <laughs> right. You know, um, but when I, you know, I was just I was a good kid that went bad, bro. You know, I didn't I didn't when I put a gun to your chest, I did not want to harm you. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to harm you. I had dudes wrestle with my gun. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't shoot them. That's right. That's right. That, could, that happens be, a lot. Because I didn't, that wasn't my intent. Yes. I had needs. And 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 I'm going to tell you like this too. There came a point a few years after that that I stopped criming on regular citizens and I only crimed on criminals, you know, because yeah. I was like karma. You know what I mean? I can't be, I can't be hitting these good people. They work hard for their money. So I'm going to hit all these motherfucking criminals. Right, and I started right. doing that. <laughs> right. But th that was me uh, uh, taking it to the next level in my criminal career. Right. You know, where I said, I'm going to crime on criminals. I'm mm -hmm. going to rob these fools that are selling dope in the hood. I'm going to kick the door down. I'm taking their shoes. I'm taking their socks. Because a lot of these drug dealers, when you go in their spot, bro, they got all kinds of brand new shit in there, dog. So you take everything, dog. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, we but, ran into that. We just didn't take anything from them. But what I'm what I'm saying what I'm saying is this, okay? From a criminal mind, I'm 44 years old now. All right, I've changed my life around, bro. Mm -hmm. Um, I never wanted to. I never really wanted to hurt anybody, you know. And I can't speak for everybody else. Well, that's you the difference know, between, as, your, between you and and I'd say this is probably the difference between L.A. and Detroit. One of the problems with Detroit is um, these young men aren't. Uh, they, they're not. Um, it's different. They've suffered in such in such a way. That's the way I, I put it from dealing with them and, and, uh, and educating them and training them as well. Their their pain is so severe and significant psychologically that they have zero trust for all humanity. They don't trust their family. They hate their own family because their family mistreated them. Everyone they know is their enemy. Everyone that knows them has harmed them. So they are a harmful to everyone that they begin to know or already know. Now, we're not talking about two people. We're not talking about 2%. We're talking about a very large percentage of people that have been abused. Part of that abuse was systemic. So, you know, back in the day, they're talking about racial. Yeah, their racial. parents were removed from the equation. So their parents were killed. Their parents, their dads were removed. Their there's mothers were removed. There's lots of things that happened to them. But these are systemic issues that affected thousands of people over and over and over again, right? Yeah. So now you have uh, a population of people that were abused and harmed. And now these people are, are not protected. So imagine if everyone you know has abuse and harmed conditions psychologically from when they were youth, right? And so now you take that and you amplify it a thousand times over because now what you want is an intelligent, and they're very intelligent, let's be clear. These guys are super smart. Their emotional intelligence is much higher than normal people. They think faster than most people. Um, 
And they are killers. They're absolute killers. They don't care if you give the car. They don't care if you give them the money. They don't care about any of that. They'll even leave your, they'll leave your used ass car right there after they blow your brains out. And uh, one example, a guy shoots a woman in the chest because um, <laughs> he said she got out the car too slow. And the reason she got out the car slow, she was yelling, I just give my baby. I'll give you the car. Let me just get my baby. And the guy put the gun right to her chest and blew her, brain, blew her chest out, right? And then because he ain't no baby stealer, <laughs> he ain't no baby stealer. So he takes the baby and put it. That's his sister's words. Yeah. Because he wanted, the sister wanted homicide to get his killer. Um, <clears throat> and so she's uh, saying that her baby, her, her brother's not no baby stealer. That's why he put the baby in the street. Okay, because he he's a good dude like that, and yeah, and, and the dude, well, that's what she thinks is a good dude. Yeah, and the reason that, but he blew her fucking brains out. She moved too slow. That's all I'm saying. So so she was, that's just like he wouldn't have done that though. If she got a car fast enough, left her, left, left her baby. You know what I'm saying? So so so, you, so so her suspect, her suspect, was she wants the police to go after. Her? Let's give you the mentality, the Detroit mentality. She's in the homicide, complaining that they she wants the police to do their job and go get her brother's killer, because. Uh, she knows who it is. It's a, it's a rival gang called the Seven Mile Dogs, and she wants them. He's a Jamaican posse killer. This her brother, right? Uh, he's African American, but he's works with Jamaican posse to do collections by killing. Right? He's twenty years old. Part of the things he does part time, he just carjacks people for fun. By the way, it's a used ass car. It's not even a nice car. So he's killing a woman to take her used ass car because what? He's got somewhere to go. You know what I'm saying? He don't want to take the bus. You know what I'm saying? I want to be with a fat girl from the factory who's got extra cars or nothing, but he's so he's, you know, he's about his business. So he's going to car check this female, take a used ass car, throw a baby in the street. And the sister believes that the police need to do their job by going after the killer of her brother because she knows it was this whole ass individual who jumped out the car and left, you know what I'm saying? Like a whole ass individual. So by the way, I heard the conversation firsthand. But I'm not going to tell you how, but let me just know that. Let me just tell you this. Uh, uh, I will tell you just that uh, if you're going to be out here and you're going to protect people from violent criminals, you're going to be in a lot of violence. And uh, it, I honestly do not think I'd be here right now making this conversation with you because I thought I'd be dead in the 90s. Because once I, what I saw was <clears throat> there was nothing stopping the violent individuals or groups. Nothing. There's <laughs> nothing that's going to be pertinent uh, that's going to stop them from killing people. Right. And I was like, man, I'm out here by myself with a dog and a rifle. What can I do? I was like, once I realized that, that there's the TV show, when you call 911 and they're going to get there in your time of need, that's literally not even possible. It wouldn't matter if the police are just sitting there waiting to, for your call to get to your community. There's not going to be a two, three minute, uh, situation. Um, you know, five minute, 10 minute response time is still good. Right. Five minutes, 10 minutes. Guess what? Your situation, unless uh, your actual conflict, life and death situations are like less than 60 seconds. I know you said in an interview, I was listening to the interview and you said uh, sometimes you got to, uh, you know, you got to take care of your family. You got to protect your family and take the law in your own hands because sometimes the police won't show up on time. Well, sound- that, that's not it's not even it's not even sometimes it's, that's normal. I mean, when they do get there on time, it's great. And when they get there ahead of time, it's even better. It's extremely rare. The point is blaming the police for not being able to be there during your time of need is inappropriate because it's not really it's not feasible. It's not feasible to expect that if you're being robbed, raped or killed, that somehow you will also be able to call the police right now during your time of need. That is highly unlikely. That's like a lightning strike. It does happen, but those are really rare occurrences. That's why the BTK killer would kill people for 20 years, right? Because 
it is very difficult. Not if we put an example uh, nationally, statistically speaking, uh, Michigan State Trooper told me that uh, 99.5% of the time, a violent criminal and <clears throat> will not cross paths through with a police officer during the crime of during the committing of crime, which you probably experienced that you were able to do what you were doing and nothing happened to you. Like you didn't have any problems with police until later. Right. And something you didn't even do. <laughs> right. You got caught up in something that wasn't you. Right. That actually happens a lot more. So you actually caught in something that somebody either says you did or did it or whatever, but it's not even really you. But the stuff you did do was other 20 things. Right. And that's really true. That's actually what's happening. So guys are doing like 99 crimes. By the time they get caught, they're like, damn, man, finally. I mean, I've been out here this whole time. Nobody ever caught me. So what I was trying to tell you earlier, bro, from a mind of a, a criminal, I mean, I got, I got about 13 years in the penitentiary. Um, I'm not bragging about this. I mean, this is just unfortunately a part of my history, right? Um, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is sometimes... The best way to deal with somebody in an agitated state, addicted to drugs, trying to get something that they feel they need that you have, sometimes maybe it would be easier to just give it to them opposed to trying to save the day, disarm them and get another criminal off the street. Sometimes life might be a little more important. I mean, I'm just saying, bro, like, do you? You get that? Or oh, no. I, you, know, you know, I totally agree with uh, with that. You you should be making the decision yourself, though, not yeah. out of ignorance and fear. So if you would like to do what he says and you believe he's going to let you go, why not? Why just, just take the stuff, take the car, take the money. Yeah. The problem is, um, uh, you know, 99 percent of the people that are dead in the morgue, they, they didn't fight back. They didn't try to disarm the gun. They were just did what they were told. They let themselves get raped. They let the person rape their children or whatever they did. They thought they were going to let them go, right? Like, you just raped us, you know? Just let us go now. It's over, right? And you can leave, won't even tell the police. And guess what? It's a lot of times, guess what? The rape victims don't even tell the police. And they is, still kill them. It's different between rape and just an armed robbery. But I get what you're saying, bro. Like, if it's someone trying to rape you, then, yeah, all means necessary. Oh, fight no, no, for no. your motherfucking life. Really? Because, I mean, think about that. I mean, you, you, you would rather die uh, just because of sex with someone you didn't choose to? I mean, that, that's odd, but okay. So that's your decision. But the point is that, uh, you why, know, you, why is that odd? There's there's levels of 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 crime, bro. And that right there is the at the hey. highest level rape. Right. You know, well, I mean, that's that's the decision, man. And, and my point is this. If you decide to have sex with someone that you decide not to have sex with, but you like to live, and you think they're going to let you live. That's your choice. Now, if you decide to die because of, of uh, sex, then, you know, that's your decision, too. But you should be the one making the decision. Not, not someone else. No, not, absolutely. Right, in, right. In, in, all, in all scenarios, right. you, should, point. you should make the decision well, and, you, and be willing to live with it. Right. And if, you, if you, I mean, you're going to die without options. And that's the thing. Without intelligent options, I can guarantee you start trying to mess around with electricity. You start trying to wire stuff without electrical knowledge. You're liable. You're more likely to die. Now, does that mean everybody dies? No, I know some people steal electricity. They're fine. But there's a bunch of others that are in the morgue because they were stealing electricity. They didn't know. They didn't understand the power and how it works and grounding, right? Uh, so the point is, the more knowledge someone has about things that are dangerous, the more likely they are to increase their survivability. And that's what our options are about, creating, letting you decide what you would like someone to do. If you want to let them take one of your children, you want to let them... You know, a lot of people make the decision, like, I don't want to take a chance on resisting. I'll just let them take my child and we'll call the police and have the police come rescue my child. And that happens. And police do go rescue them. It's, there's some great stories like that. Rather than, 
you know, resist and possibly get everybody killed. I mean, that, that is a great story that does happen. In some cases, um, like I know a police officer told me, commander of first precinct said that uh, a woman and man um, got raped uh, after they got shot in the stomach. <clears throat> and I, I had to check with them because that's the, the story that came through the media. And I was like, that sounds crazy. There's a lot you of rapes. Rape some- There's a lot of rapes going in Detroit. Huh? <laughs> well, that's it's not just Detroit. It's it's, it's a societal no, no, thing, right? Yeah. So uh, the the I thought it was odd that you rape the woman after the uh, shot of her in the stomach. And so I asked the police commander, I happened to know him, and he told me it's a true story. Yeah. So right. So you know. So there's some uh, very um, disgusting people out there, and you should be the one who decides what level you're going to allow to happen to you and your family. That's my point is absolutely no one should let you should not have to sit there and just take it because you decided because you have no, no intelligent options and you shouldn't do something stupid, like try to fix your electricity by just making something up. I, I, I believe bro, what you're teaching. I mean, people should have them tools in the toolbox and have the option to use them or not. That's right. So the tools, I, toolbox, we use that. That's a good, that's yeah, a good analogy. So no, I, I do agree with you on that a hundred percent. Like, the more tools we have in the toolbox, you know what I mean, uh, you know, potentially can fix the job, right? I want to ask you this on, on heading out of this podcast, bro. When you say about sometimes you got to take the law in your own hands, bro. Who said that? Not Well, you said sometimes not the law in your own hands, but sometimes you have to take care of things because the cops won't show up on time. Is that correct? No, you just have to. You're your own bodyguard. It's not the cop's job to be there. Before you get raped, robbed, or killed. That's the point. It's unrealistic to have that expectation. The police are doing their job. You call them, they come. That's it. I mean, that's all you can expect from them. You can't expect them to be there mysteriously before it happens. And that's what we have right now. People are actually holding police accountable for something they can't do. That's not realistic. My point is, you take responsibility and accountability for your own safety and become your own bodyguard for you and your family. Do not have unrealistic expectations of police because you watch too much TV. I mean, but is that easier? I mean, that's easier said than done, especially when it comes to the complexion of one's skin color, right? Absolutely not. That's a that's a that is <laughs> that is a fantasy that's that comes out of a lack of knowledge. So we protect people in all communities. So is Kyle Rittenhouse a hero? Uh, not in my book. You, you, you shoot someone and you try to get away from the scene. It's like if you hit someone with a car and try to get away from the scene. Automatically, that's the crime. So if you hit someone with a car, you made a mistake. That happens all the time. Okay. Now, what are you supposed to do? You have to stay there and make the police report. If Kyle Rittenhouse had shot someone, he's supposed to stay there and make the report. You can't just start running down the street because if you do, people will chase you down when you're in a car because you're now committing a crime by leaving the scene of the accident. The same thing is true in a shooting. He should have stayed right there with the body on the ground and made his police report. And anybody came up to him aggressing, he could actually shoot them in self-defense as well. But the fact that he started running down the street is what makes it a crime and a criminal act because you're actually trying to leave the body on the ground. And, and the fact that he went from one county to the other, I believe, with that assault rifle. Oh, that, I mean, I'll, I'll, the, the, yeah. there's another part. Okay, there's no such thing in Detroit as a, an underage person with a rifle being legal. I don't. I'm, I'm, yeah, don't I don't. I've never even understood that. Now that I can't even understand, uh, and a lot of people were, were upset by that. But here's the point: you're supposed to use law to dictate action, right? And that law means that if you're under 17, under 18, you're not supposed to have a gun um, uh, running down the street. Period. So we don't even have this issue. So normally, legally, normally, but remember, law is about opinion. And so that's why I teach law second. So psychology first, law second. Legally, uh, you know, th- these are legal opinions that formulate our legal system. It's not really like in writing, this is what you do and that's what you follow. It's not like that. Yeah. And so people understand that the, the people are making determinations based on what they see. 
And if they like what they see, they like this. And if they don't like what they see, they don't like that. And it doesn't matter uh, what is right or wrong. What matters is their legal opinion. And so once you understand that you're now armed with knowledge that can help you and your family, what do you look like in this situation? What do they look like in this situation based on where you physically are geographically in the United States, right? And so I don't know the laws in other countries, but I can tell you right here, what matters is the jury of your peers, the prosecutors, the detectives, the police officers that respond, the, the judges, the jury, these are people. And these people make determinations based on how they feel. And that, determ- that determines how law is applied, period. So once you understand that, you understand who you are, how you look in this particular situation. And that's why it's imperative you have that information ahead of time. So imagine if you knew how you'd be deter- how your uh, your your person, you personally would be would be um, looked at legally by the legal system in your community in this particular situation, whatever the situation is. I think 100 percent of the time I probably look like the criminal, bro. And then you would need to know that, that very good point. So therefore, what does the other person look like in this story? So if they don't look what, like the criminal. Yeah, but, then, well, but what if he is the criminal? Exactly. And so the point is, it won't matter because you look like the criminal. He looks like Jeffrey Dahmer, who is a award-winning soldier who just likes to, you know, eat people of a certain, you know, complexion. <laughs> so if yeah. it was you versus Tim Jeffrey Dahmer, you would lose every time. But Jeffrey Dahmer is clearly the bad guy. You you never did anything nearly as bad in your whole life combined as Jeffrey Dahmer's one evening. Okay? He did more one evening worse than you and anybody you know. He was eating people and serving it to other people, serving their body parts to other people. And having sex with body parts. There is no one that hard. No one's that hardcore in any uh, <laughs> gang ever. And if you tell your gang members, yeah, you know, so I eat people and I have sex with their body parts. You, mean, will, you will be terrifying everyone. No one will even want you in their gang anymore. So that guy right there is officially the worst person. But if you saw him standing next to you, people would automatically believe him over you. So, but that's the law. That's the legal system we have. It doesn't make it right or wrong. I mean, it makes it wrong in my book, but that's the reality you need to face. So if you were having a problem with someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, you know that legally no one's going to believe you over him. What would you recommend for a person that looks like me to protect myself from people that potentially can look like you judging me as the criminal? Um, I mean, how do I do? Like, I, I fucked my life up for a shitload of years. I turned my life around, you know, and now, you, you know, I'm, I'm 10 years away from my last uh, 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 court case. Um, I need to protect my family, but I yes. can't own a fucking gun. You don't need a gun anyway. So the, the, what you need is um, uh, in this situation where you're dealing with situ- uh, problematic conditions, you need to first of all record it. So you start recording the truth and you, there's things you need to say, right? You need to physically be doing things. First thing you need to do in any legal situation is you need to call 911. So once you call 911, no matter what this is, you've now given your lawyer the ability to help protect you and call you the victim in a situation where it might get violent, right? Yeah. But you call 911 first. The second thing you need to do is physically attempt to back away or to leave if you can. The third thing you need to do is, is say is verbally on the video state, you do not want to have conflict, you know, I have problems. You tell them to call the police, you know, all those things. So you're actually building their case for yeah. your freedom. Absolutely. Ahead of time, but you didn't. No one's even fought you yet. No one's attacked you yet. You just believe this could get violent. You've already laid the course legally for you to be defended by your attorney, and you don't even have a case yet. There's nothing happening. But that's how you create a condition. It doesn't matter what the person looks like now, because you created all the points you'll need for your lawyer to defend you. 
Right. And that's if you have time to create them points. Correct. And if you don't, yeah. you have, maybe you only have one of those. But guess what? You just did. You increased it. Now, all of a sudden, the violence took place. You have no time for any of it. So you're now the first person to call police. You then record the situation now that you got, you know, the situation's <laughs> over. Hey, um, there's a guy right here. He tried to come to my window. This guy approached me on my porch. You, physically, yeah. we're, we're at a restaurant and we tried to, I tried to leave. I'm outside the restaurant in my car. There's a video of the guy on the ground. Don't leave uh, the crime scene when everybody's around filming. And you. don't, <laughs> definitely don't leave. So what happens is now, you're forced to say, well, this is the bad guy, but he decided to wait for the police. That's not logical. Yeah. That's not logical. So you create, a con- you create a condition that makes it easier to defend you before you even have the problem or just after. But imagine you need that knowledge. That's why I created the school for. So now you don't do the panic response. There's three things that are going to happen to you when you panic. You're going to uh, fight, flight, or freeze, right? Now, through training, you can replace that with an actual process. So now you don't go into your subconscious response to threat in your toolbox. It's empty. We fill your toolbox with knowledge. So now you know, okay, hey, this guy's came out of nowhere. I just, I just break his skull and now he's on the ground and I had a case in my background. I have cases in my background. So now what I need to do is make sure I call 911 first, ask for an ambulance, individual attack me, and he uh, seems to have hurt himself. I had so, a, you, so you don't want to say, I smashed his head on the ground. You would say, uh, when he was attacking me, he must have um, injured himself. So certain things you need to know, and even when they say to you, so sir, uh, you, uh, you look like you've been uh, working out a little bit, like you know what you're doing, you're not a punk, are you? You weren't scared of this dude, were you? You're like, no, I wasn't scared. You, you tough though, right? You rough. Man, I'm tough as it need to be. So you hit him in your head, you hit him with your hands about, well, about 30 times, but lucky you got some skills, right? Yeah, yeah, so officer, I struck him 30 times because he was, you know what I'm saying, he was attacking me. All right, Mr., uh, you need to put your hands behind your back. You were not scared. You struck him 30 times in the head. You just told me that. And now you've just decreased your survivability and your freedom because you said things you shouldn't have been saying, right? And so imagine learning how to articulate threat in that situation, whether you have a criminal history or not. And that's what we do. We make sure that people know how to create the positive outcomes or the most positive they can to increase their survivability and their freedom by training them to understand psychology first, law second, and skills last. So before you disarm the gun or knife, before you uh, physically have an altercation with anyone, Imagine knowing the psychology that could prevent it from going there in the first place. So example is if you want to want to talk to somebody, right? You think someone's a problem. Instead of you going over there and getting their face, you stand next to them and talk to them, right? When he or she is mad about something, instead of you saying, well, don't don't say anything you know, negative about the Illuminati or whatever, whatever the craziness is, you yeah. join with them. You mirror them. You, you join, mirror, and placate them. Next thing you know, they think you're their best friend. Now you just stop the part where you have to know the law because nothing's going to happen between you and them. You can now guide them away from your family, even though a minute ago they were a threat to your family, right? Yeah. Or it's your place of work. So that's what we teach, psychology, law, and skill in that order. So you do know how to disarm guns and knives. Guess why that's important? Psychology, law, and skill. Because if I'm going to be calm, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you have a gun or knife, right? So I can be calm if I don't know this guy's a gun or knife and I'm scared. So once I know how to disarm guns and knives, I can now be calm. And I walk over and I can confidently get to elbow control, which gives me physical contact and ability to move this person against their will and inhibit them from drawing a weapon. Simultaneously, I'm also calm, which to the predator means you have no fear of them. And to a predator, that is the scariest thing in the world. Who's put on threat display, especially if they're like, man, I'm a killer. I kill people. I kill people. And you walk up like, hey, come here, man. Let me talk to you for a second. I can't believe these people are messing with you, man. Let's get out of here before the police get here. Meanwhile, you're the one that called the police. See that you call the police already. Then you go over there and grab him by his elbows. Let's get out of here before the police get here. Right. And he's like, man, you're right. I need to go. Right. So you de-escalated, but you told him you're going to get him out of here before the police get here. And all of a sudden he's like, oh man, you looking out for me. 
<laughs> you don't want to call the police on them, right? But you can't have that confidence if you don't have the ability to disarm guns and knives. If you don't know how to take someone to your custody against their will and dominate them, especially if they're on your weight class. And so that's what I had to learn, what worked and what didn't. And the way I did that is because I had violent criminals that volunteered to attack and kill us repeatedly. So we saw what techniques worked and which ones didn't. Uh, we know about trauma wound care because um, although we got shot, none of us died. And that's because we stabilized our wounded and transported them. So we did, we, we survived drive-bys, uh, walk-ups, um, takedowns. We had to deal with active shooters actively because um, when you're fighting dudes that are in a group, a clique, uh, a gang, they, 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 the gang is pretty strong until um, uh, you find out that there's no heroes in this group. And when the, when the strongest go down, the other cousins start thinking about their mortality. I mean, does your does your uh, self-defense uh, methods uh, apply to police officers as well? Yeah, we have a police training program specifically for police. Yes. And the police officers are on my uh, no, YouTube. I'm talking specific. about against police officers that are misusing their power. Um, we do have uh, advice you, you, you for get, how to how to uh, deal with police so you don't have escalatory conditions. So with police officers, anytime you have a contact with police, you need to automatically uh, establish their dominance for them. Because you talk about gangs, there's gangs in, in, poli in police uh, jurisdictions as well. That's right? a good point. And in those situations, you got to make sure that they think you are on their side as well. And then, therefore, they will tend to not want to focus on you, right? <laughs> so it applies. So it applies in it all applies. It's human Absolutely. behavior. It's human behavior. So instead of saying this person's a cop or this person's a criminal or this person's not a cop or not a criminal, people are people. And just because they have a job or don't have a job doesn't change who they actually are. Remember yeah. that in the United States military, there's a prison called Leavenworth. Leavenworth is filled with prisoners that had a 100% employment rate at the time of their, their, their prison, imprisonment, okay? So there's no correlation between poverty and criminality, right? Bernie Madoff made off with more money than all the criminals combined in the history of the United States ever. And he went to college. He went to the best college, all right? Uh, so, and it, by the way, he wasn't a single dad. Uh, he's, uh, his children weren't raised by the mom, right? He wasn't raised by a mom. He had mom and dad, right? Like Jeffrey Dahmer who liked to eat people. So people that don't have a mother <laughs> and a father who are orphans are not terrorists. You've never heard of terrorists coming from an orphanage. So there's no correlation between not having a dad and being a violent criminal. That's, that's fantasy. Why do we know that? Because all of our worst criminals had both a mother and father at home. All of them. Unabomber. Ted Kaczynski, Ted Bundy, all the worst ones had a mother and father. So there's, yeah, these kids and they went to college. Up, these and they kids went to college. shooting up schools and shit. Right. Uh, what poor kids, <laughs> what, what trailer park kid did that? Just Dylan? It's just Dylan. I think he, had, I think he was a trailer parker. He might have been in the house. I'm not sure. But it's uh, very rare. The, Normally. The hood babies are little angels compared to some yeah, of these right? freaking Man, monsters, listen. Right? <laughs> check this out. When's the last time you heard of a mass shooting in Detroit at any high school? Detroit. Yeah. I the worst. I hear it, bro. The, no, you yeah. did not one. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I hear yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. But think about that. So yeah. I, when I tell people that I do these <laughs> podcasts for like about, I've been heavy on podcasts for about 12 years now. And when I would say that to the, to the people in the different communities that would interview me, I would say, you know, Detroit has no home and no mass shootings at any schools ever in the history of Detroit. They're like, that's impossible. It's Detroit. Yes. Dystopia, right? No, there's not one. You don't have one shooting, a mass shooting at any school ever. But how would that be possible if mass shootings are a direct result of a lack of fathers? There's a lack of fathers there, but let's be clear on why there's a lack of fathers. When you lack protection for the fathers, they can be either be murdered or they can be imprisoned for nothing. Therefore, there will be a lack of fathers available. But apparently, with no fathers, in a disproportionate number of no fathers in Detroit, which is a fact, right? 
you don't have any shootings at schools that are mass shootings? How is that possible? Yeah. Because there's no correlation between a lack of fathers and mass shootings at schools, yeah. except in our minds, right? So the first thing we do is study facts. So I would encourage your listeners to do is to look up uh, Detroit Urban Survival Training, look up Detroit Threat Management Center, what we've been doing for 26 years, helping, Absolutely. helping people for free that have no money, helping domestic violence victims, stalking victims. We launched a mission to Hurricane Katrina. Uh, this is what we do to help people. So the purpose of our training is to help protect people. This is things we used in real life to kept all of us alive for the past 26 years and help to keep all the families alive. You know, bro, I, I love what you're teaching, man. Thank I you. I love what you're teaching. I mean, tools in the toolbox, right? That's it, man. I, know, I love and, that analogy. And, and, and as long as, you know I mean, you have them, it's up to you to use them. Right. But you got to know sometimes if you use them, tools in the toolbox can potentially. And if you don't. And, and if you don't, <laughs> I mean, likely. you got to weigh it out right. as an individual. That's bro. right. The more you know, the more you know, the better you do. I agree with that. I agree with that. You know what? So you're you're going to have an L.A. location. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Probably and, more than one. And so if you have an L.A. location, um, I, I, man, I'd like to get some of the training, bro. Absolutely, man. This is for everybody. So it's a way to get the police and the people working together. The, it's my, primarily for the people, but we also have police-specific training. I mean, so the police and the people both training in one location. I mean, I think the police, get along. The police need to uh, learn some martial arts so they can have confidence in what they're doing so they can utilize their hands before they utilize that gun, right? Well, we're, we're, well psychologically, if you learn how to talk to people, there's some cops that have never, ever been in a fight, man. A lot, most cops have never been in a fight their whole they life. Shouldn't and they shouldn't be a police and officer, and right? No, no, that's not true. They arrest people every day. <laughs> you know why? Because and they, some of them are shooting people every day. Well, that, right, but well, that's very rare. That's extremely rare. Extremely, let me explain this to you. It's extremely rare. So, uh, see, not according to the news outlets. Yeah, no, not no, according no, to no, statistics. That's called recency bias. Okay, so what's happening is you're hearing about the shootings, right? You're actually not even hearing about most of the shootings. You're hearing about a very small number of exactly. the shootings. Okay, exactly. Right. You're not so, hearing about most and of the no, shootings. No, but you got to remember, there's uh, about seven hundred fifty thousand police officers. Okay, they work uh, in this country currently. Seven hundred fifty thousand law enforcement officers. Right. So you hear about it. If you heard, check it out, bro. I'm not shitting on the on the on yeah. police officers. Yeah, you know what? I'm just right. saying that you know some of them shouldn't be police officers. Oh, I don't, absolutely, I don't, absolutely. I don't believe we should yeah. defund the police. Right. I feel like we should get a refund <laughs> from some of these police officers. <laughs> right. well, well, that's what we teach. we pay for them, right? Right, right, right. But so what we do is we train police officers for free, just like we protect, we we train uh, people for free that don't have any money, okay? Because we want people safe. We want police to be safe so they can go out and make other people safe. So we encourage police officers to train uh, so that. We we can help them be safe so they can go out and help families be safe so they can make it safe. So staying safe, we show police officers how to make it safe out there by making them safe. And Absolutely. Then we should be rewarding them for that. Instead of uh, getting less money for police, we need to give more money for police doing positive things. So every officer that didn't shoot someone gets a bonus. Every officer that did take people to court or, excuse me, to jail without injury, right, gets a bonus. So we need to bonus the behavior we want uh, and not not defund, but actually more funding for more training and more positive outcomes. And maybe we should we should get them in at not such an, a young age. Absolutely, maybe, that's maybe a very police good point. officers because be twenty five and above got to be twenty five and above. I like that. Yes. I like that, no, that's bro. absolutely true, man. Yeah. That's, that's and so it's not fair. Think about how old you were, how how dumb we all were at age twenty. They just think about that for a second. It's not fair. Bro, I rolled into my 30s. Dumb <laughs> right? Bro, exactly. No, no. I'm 44 exactly. right now. I, didn't, Man. I barely started maturing. I'll right. No, that. that's real. That's real. But guess <laughs> that's what? That's the sad truth. And, and I'm sorry. I, and how many are mature between 20 and 25? Like almost nobody's ever yeah. that mature. Yeah. But there's lots of law enforcement officers that are in that position. And what we need to do is rethink the entire thing. 
Uh, so we need a, a lot more training. We need years of training before you go out in the, in, in the field, right? And decide who leads to live and die. And that's where, you know, we would create the comprehensive change. But what that means, you know, it's a, it's a serious thing, man, having people out there that are deciding based on their feelings, um, you know, what actions to take that could be life and death decisions. We need to train them to the highest degree, not minimal training standards, maximum training standards. And we need to pay the maximum. So imagine you got this person super smart, super fast, super intelligent, super in shape, uh, but super uh, peace oriented, right? Because really what you need is a officer who's thinking about public safety safely, right? And there's, yeah. and that's what the most are doing. Let's be clear. When we watch TV, uh, you're looking at a recency bias is where we see these stories and we're like, oh, look at this situation, right? Then we look at it again. We look at this again. So then our brain says, that's what's actually happening. That's not what's actually happening. Remember this nine out of 10 uh, uh, things dealing with police officers have nothing to do with the city. Nine out of 10 things. Why is that? Because 85% of police work outside of cities. How come 99% of your stories have to do with police in a city when, nine out, when 85% of police don't even work in a city? Because recency bias, television stations are reporting from a city outward. They're not reporting from country towns across this country to cities. Okay? So that your brain is seeing everything from a city perspective. That's not where the majority yeah. of crimes are taking place. Well, I look at it, I look at it from my time on the streets. You know, I wasn't watching the news. I was seeing what was actually happening on the streets. Close to you. Okay. Close, majority of people close, in close California. That's majority, all we know, bro. Right. So what's close exactly. to us. Exactly. That's recency yeah. bias. So majority yeah. of people in California. Is that what you call a recency bias? Right. Whatever recently you heard, that's what you're biased towards. Right. So the majority of people in, in California don't live in L.A. Yeah. The majority of people in L.A., the majority of people in, in, uh, don't live in anywhere in Los Angeles County. That's not the majority of people in California. Yeah. That's just the biggest metropolitan area. So this is 25 years of recency bias. And yes. Yeah. No, 100 <laughs> and years. I, check it out, bro. I got girls. Well, I'm going to end this right now, bro. I know you guys got to go. Um, I have girls. And if I can't protect them, I hope these police officers can protect them. Right. I'll tell you that. I got That's little exactly girls, right. bro. That's right. Right. That's you right. Know, so. And you know what? What's even better is if you, if you prepare them to protect themselves. We have a daughter, and that's what we do. We make sure that we're doing our part uh, because that's, who, that's who's being victimized the most, right? Girls are being killed by who? People that are not strangers. Let's be clear. People they know. Yeah. Okay? So you got to train them to become their own bodyguards, just like males, right? Most people are killed by people they know. It's not like people come from some other area and kill you, right? Remember that? That's, that's, <laughs> that's our fantasy, right? But in reality... Um, you know, the, the leading cause of death for children in this country are parents, right? Not strangers. Stranger danger is minimal, right? But we are always, uh, you know, it's always horrible when you hear about a stranger uh, taking kids away, right? Yeah. It is horrible. Yeah. But it's also horrible if, when you know the truth that the majority of people that are killing kids are their parents. That's horrible, too. Yeah. We just need to know. It's unfortunate. Right. But that's why yeah. we have CPS, right? So they can help with that. Of course, that's, that's going to the left a lot of times as well, yeah. right? But the point is, imagine not even realizing that fact that the majority of children are being killed by parents. And now you're focusing all your efforts on these strangers when that's not a, that's a minimal danger. So we need to focus on the knowledge. So study, go to go to FBI.gov website. You can see a lot of research there, a lot of actual data there pertaining to different subjects, which will actually educate you to know what's what's not being reported. The media is just a news agency. It's just media to make you interested in, in the story. It's not about what's really happening in the world. But we think of it as because we think the news media is somehow a research institution. It's not. Their job is to make something so interesting you look at it and want to keep watching. Well, half the shit that, that happens on the streets doesn't end up in the news uh, anyway, cycle and shit. Right. Yeah. But Dale Brown, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank brother. you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for blessing this platform. Everybody give it up for Dale Brown. Everybody, uh, his whole team is telling me, that's it. We got to go. You know? right. Thank um, you. Yeah, but brother, 
thank you so much. It's it's been cool, bro. It's been cool. Well, thank man. you for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe if you guys like, man, we'll buy you some tacos right here down the street, right here on Whittier Boulevard. I don't know. We'll talk about All it right, right now. Right, thank you, everybody. I appreciate you guys.